Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Yes Men. I'm Lou DiPietro, and alongside me to my left is Doug Williams. And we're back for a second episode, so that must mean you liked our first one. Yeah, I hope I hope everybody liked it. We really had a good time. You know, I, 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 there's enough to talk about in the sporting world, and we have all the freedom we want to talk about whatever we want. So there's really no excuse. We, it's not like we can just be quiet because I love talking sports, and so do you. Yeah, and we have to start off with all the things in the sports world. We have to start off with the Yankees, who, since we joined you last... Uh, have done pretty well for themselves. Uh, won two out of three against the Orioles over the holiday weekend, and then uh, despite the rains interrupting the game for a good couple hours on Monday, they topped the White Sox 9-1. to one. Uh, So now they've won three out of their last four uh, over the holiday and uh, head into Game 2 against the White Sox on Tuesday night, uh, the finale on Wednesday. And th- like we said last week, this is where they need to make hay, Doug. I mean, yeah. this is a, yeah. a last-place team here. You know, the White Sox have had a tough year. Yes, they swept the Yankees in Chicago, uh, you know, a month or so ago. But th- this is where they really need to kind of just dig in. And it doesn't have to be a 9-1 to victory. A 2-1 to victory works just as well. But this is where they need to dig in and just really beat the teams they're supposed to beat. The White Sox are a godsend, as you know, uh, this three-game set, because... They then play the Red Sox for four, which even if it's at home is still tough. So I think tonight's probably the uh, uh, it's a difficult game. I know it's against the White Sox, who are about as bad as you can be, but they face Chris Sale tonight, ten and twelve with a two point nine nine ERA. And what's not in his statistics is his disgusting slider and fastball that can get up to ninety seven, ninety eight from the left. So his his ten and twelve record is a product of that team. I mean, like you said, he's got a sub three ERA in September, yeah. and he's got ten wins because the White Sox are just for lack of a better way to put it, they've been that bad for most of the year. They're terrible. I mean, watching them is difficult. Watching them try and field the baseball is hard. It's I, I don't understand what it's like to be a White Sox fan. I don't understand what it's like to work for that organization watching that product on the field. But the White Sox organization says uh, Robin Ventura's job is safe. But anyway, that's that's neither here but nor that there. That fielding prowess, for lack of a better word, is uh, what got J.R. Murphy his first hit on Monday. Yeah, that was big. I, I thought that was a great moment. Um, always love to see first hit of, of careers. And, and that was a record Murphy. breaker, by the way. You know, I didn't was, realize that. He was the 52nd different player to appear in a game for the Yankees this year. That's a new franchise record. Wow. So I mean, I can't Murph. say I'm surprised. Yeah. The J.R. Murph. By the way, he looks like he's 12. Uh, can we get a birth certificate on him? Because legitimately looks like he's 12. I think we've seen enough of J.R. Murphy uh, in the minor leagues, myself and, and our former colleague, Jorama, that uh, we can vouch he is old enough to be able to drive a car and do other things. Not quite old enough to rent one yet without a surcharge, but he's... Uh, I can't he's in his yet. 20s. I want to rent a car. I mean, I think I'm going to have an extra little pizzazz for my 25th birthday party in three years just because I can rent a car. Just go crazy. It hurts. Just wild. But what? That's They'll what know my name at Nationwide. But the, if you're going to drive around in a, in a rental car, are you going to have something like a Prius or maybe a you know a compact car kind of safe gas? I, are you going all that? You get in the Hummer? I want or, a... Uh, let's see. I want, a, I want like a Ford Thunderbird that smells like cigarettes. Like a classic rental car, white. Every all rental cars, rental cars are white, and then a little dirty on the outside. With a Florida license plate. Florida license right. plate. Uh, maybe one of those like air freshener trees that somebody left there the last time, but still smells like cigarettes. The vanilla scent, because it's got to be the vanilla scent. I feel yeah, the pine or just the, the, or the pine trees or whatever the like frosty black one. I can't remember what that one is, but Lou, how did we get here? Um, to rental cars. I, I don't oh, know. So, you know, it was J.R. Murphy. Anyway, 
Um, I, I think the Yankees right now, because the Rays have taken a, just a terrible dive, and it's been a really bad time for that to happen. Not a good time for them to drop in the standings because the Red Sox are playing well, the Yankees are playing well, the A's are playing better than anybody. And Cleveland did get a win over Detroit this weekend, mm-hmm. so they, they hung tight in the race. And you'd think if anyone knows the the weight, the enormity, and just how easily, I guess, it can happen for a collapse this late in the season, you would think it would have to be the Rays who, you know, if it wasn't for those big home runs on game 162, they wouldn't have made the playoffs a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was that was an epic collapse, and the AL East should all know about that. And and the Rays especially, because they benefited from it. Yes, they did. And, you know, they are a team that is perennially thought of as, do they have enough insert baseball quality here to make a run to the postseason? And guess what? Nine times out of ten, they do. So, I mean, you can't ever count them out, even though they're fading a little bit. They're still right there. They're still the wild card as of today. You know, but the Yankees, the Orioles, the Indians, hot on their heels. The, the A's have put a little separation between them now. Yeah, I, you know, I actually think that Will Myers is in a terrible slump. I know that not because I'm a huge Rays fan or I pay attention to them 24-7, but because Will Myers is on my fantasy team. Yes. And he's destroying me. I've had uh, B.J. Upton on one of my teams all year, so just if you want to ever feel bad, feel well, bad Well, yeah, that. he's no longer the Rays problem. But Evan Longoria also only hits against the Yankees. He's in a little bit of a slump now. So those two guys get back in it. Remember how tough they are when they hit. I mean, the first half is a perfect example because they have every kind of arm you'd want in the starting rotation. Well, and they have one down in double-A now, too, with Jeremy Hellickson, if he can figure it out. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what they got there. But if... Uh, Longoria only hits against the Yankees, and you know, good for your fantasy team. Then uh, you might do pretty well in the uh, middle rounds of the playoffs. Uh, you know, with Tampa Bay. That's true. That's <laughs> Coming, <laughs> heading to uh, heading to Tampa, or I should say, heading to the Bronx uh, in a couple weeks. But um, you know, like I said, this is the time where the Yankees need to make hay. They got the Red Sox coming up. They do have Tampa coming in for the final home series of the year in about three weeks now, uh, which could be the end of Mariano Rivera's legacy, long-standing careers. Final regular season appearance at Yankee Stadium, you have to figure, is going to take place in one of those games. You know, they do also have to play Toronto still, so they've got some room to to kind of pick up some more ground. They play Houston, and they play the Giants, who, you know, have not had a good year. And who knows, you know, if they're not playing for anything, who knows what they may be looking at? You know, who knows where their pitchers may fall, what their offense may look like. So that's, you know, nine, ten games. And the Giants are coming to New York. The Yankees don't have to go to San Francisco. That's nine or ten games where they can really pick up pick up the pace and, and, and make a late season run and you know, they the Indians have a pretty soft schedule at the end too, but the Yankees can really take advantage of that, especially if they can do some damage in those three games against Tampa at the end of the year. The Indians just lost Masterson um, to an injury. I, I don't know how serious it is. It looks like abdominal issue uh, or rib cage, um, somewhere around that area. If they don't have him, they, they don't have the starting pitching to get there. I, they, they everybody could get lucky. But right. they just don't have it. Um, and in a one-game playoff, you know, at the end, when you get to the ultimate end, in a one-game playoff, it doesn't matter who's in your rotation, who's out. All you need is one pitcher, one game. Right. And then you just kind of go from there. Right. Well, we are kidding ourselves if we think that baseball is the only thing to talk about. That's these right. Days. It, it is September. Right. Uh, it is September. It's the only sport that currently is live. But there is always more to talk about when. Football is looming, and um, I guess it's not the only sport that's live now that college football is back in the swing of things. There are a lot of big stories in college football. 
the one that I can't stop thinking about talking about is Johnny Manziel because he doesn't allow me to stop talking <laughs> about it. Even when he is on the field, everybody talks about his off the field problems. He brought off the field problems on the field this weekend. Well, he got that taunting flag at the at the end of that game. I, I mean, I, and I love how people are talking about it. Like, no, he was he was telling the other player, like, hey, like, what's up, dude? Like, what's going on? All right. Well, what did the money symbol mean? What did the penalty mean? Do you really think that this kid is level-headed? Do you really think that he isn't just exactly what we hope he's not? Because I, I think he's exactly what he's portrayed to no, be. No, and he's very much in danger, in my mind, of becoming Jamarcus Russell 2.0 in that he thinks he's bigger than he is. And, I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy as a redshirt freshman. Let's, no matter what you think of his off-the-field endeavors or what you may even think of his on-the-field endeavors— in the SEC, he won the Heisman Trophy as a redshirt freshman quarterback. That puts him in the pantheon with maybe only Tim Tebow, who was a sophomore, but he didn't redshirt. So, I mean, he was a true second-year college player when he won the Heisman, or when he won the national title, I should say. You know, he did he did that. But the money symbol, the taunting flag, the autograph thing, the scandal, he got suspended for, you know, 30 whole minutes of a game against Rice, who, despite the fact that they may be a, you know, former Southwest Conference foe, of Texas A&M, they stink. They stink. I mean, they're that's why they're playing Texas A&M in week one, because they stink. That's why Florida played Toledo, because they stink. You know, I mean, you get games like Clemson versus Georgia, but you also get games like that. You know, Oregon beat up on, I don't even know who they beat up on, but they scored like 70 points. I don't know because I don't care because I didn't watch. I find it hard to get into college football until, like, early to mid-October. I, I yeah. really do. You know, um, I, it pains me to say this, but my alma mater, Elon University, lost 70 nothing to Georgia Tech on Saturday. 70 nothing. Which was a which was a Yellow Jackets record for points, by the way, and I only know that because Mark Teixeira tweeted that. Well, that's nice. Better. That all makes me feel really good. Um, Mine lost by 22. I, I Well, you know, that's manageable. That's, <laughs> you know, that's an aggressive amount of baseball runs, but that's still in the baseball category. A lot for the loss, you know, like well, twenty-two runs is like possible in baseball. Seventy runs is yeah. It? Now, when you when you uh, I went to Temple University and we obviously lost to Notre Dame uh, twenty-eight to six on Saturday. But yeah, be proud of that at, at Notre Dame Stadium. You know, like that was an experience. A few of my friends actually trekked out for the game and you know had a blast saying Notre Dame the game day experience is exactly everything you think it is and more. So good for them, and you know Temple. We're gonna we're gonna struggle in the I, the not Big East. Yeah, and year, I, I agree with you, by the way, about about how these games need to be more evenly matched. Because the the one thing is that it's going to be hard for it to change because it gives the bigger schools a W, and you know no matter what, basically, and the smaller schools make a lot of money off of it because of the TV. So it kind of benefits both sides, even if you know you're going to lose. These smaller teams are like, well, what if we win? Because there's really no downsides. Like, what if we win? What if we're Appalachian State against Michigan a few years back? Look then? at North Dakota State. They, right. they did that. I mean, they've won the FBS cha- or the FCS championship a couple times in a row now, and they they win on week one. They they go in and right and and, and, I, and screw up a season, so to speak, right off the bat. And that's the. By the way, like going back to Johnny Manziel, that's part of what makes me so angry about what he was doing is they were playing Rice. And in all seriousness, Rice was not a team that was going to beat Texas A&M. And Johnny Manziel, I I think, I totally agree with you on the Heisman. I totally agree. But he's going to, unless he changes his skill set and starts impressing NFL scouts, 
He's not going to be playing football in 10 years. He's going to be I, a nobody. Again, I go back to Tim Tebow. Where is he right now? He's a nobody. Yeah. But Tim Tebow, say what you will about him, has never done anything close to what Johnny Manziel has already done as a sophomore in college in the negative department. Well, Tim Tebow, I don't think, could ever do anything in his career combined to do as much in the negative department as Johnny Manziel because that's not the kind of person Tim Tebow is. And all due disclosure, despite my alma mater being Temple, I grew up and still remain a fan of the Florida Gators. So Tim Tebow can you know do no wrong in my fan eyes. But that's just not the kind of person Tebow is. So so that would never happen. But the whole thing, like you said, he did this against Rice. Can he do it against Alabama, LSU, even you know Mississippi, Arkansas? You know, when, if and when they get to the SEC championship game, you're looking at a Florida, you know, uh, a Georgia if they can bounce back from the Clemson loss. Can he do this consistently? Yes, Texas A&M had a fantastic year last year and still finished in the middle of the pack in the SEC West because it's such a good – that division is better than half the conferences in college football. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely stacked. And it's another thing that makes, you know, college football a little bit odd is because so much of this talent and so much of the skill is all in one place. I, you know, and, and I, I got to go back and – as I say all of that against can he do it against the good teams, I have to say at least he did it against a Division One FBS team. The one thing I hate, 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 as much as the occasional upset makes it so much worthwhile, I hate watching really, really good Division One FBS teams beat up on the UMasses and the nickel states of the world. To me, this would be like... The San Francisco 49ers going out and playing, I don't know, the Orlando Predators or the Arena League, you know, maybe a CFL team, that would never fly. You know, even in college basketball, yes, there's 300 and some odd teams in Division One. So, yes, UConn plays, you know, Quinnipiac every year in the preseason or in the, the early non-conference schedule. But at least they're in the same division. And theoretically, despite the fact that probability and statistics are what they are, UConn and Quinnipiac open up the season with the same possibility of winning the NCAA championship. Yeah, I will say this. I think you could make the argument that despite steroids in baseball, despite concussions in the NFL, the NCAA and specifically NCAA football has more problems with it than any other sporting league. Well, if you saw it you know, earlier in the summer, I think it was the – Either the Big Ten or the Big 12 commissioner was talking about how possibly they might need to secede somewhat from the NCAA, kind of form their own division among the BCS teams. And and that would be great, except for one problem. Starting year one, that makes a team like Texas A&M, that makes a team like Oregon State, that makes a team like Virginia, North Carolina, that makes them the Rices and the Toledos of the world because if you're only playing amongst yourselves if you know just look at the SEC West there's seven teams if those seven teams only played each other there's a very good chance one of those teams could go 0 and 6 probably be Mississippi but theoretically I mean you know if Texas A&M only plays within their division and goes 4 and 3 they're a 4 and 3 team yeah they don't you know they don't go they don't have a rice game they don't have a game against Nickel State or Appalachian State or any, you know, former one double A team. 
another thing I hate, the FCS, FBS, 1A and 1AA. It's easy enough to say. But they don't have those games, those non-conference games against those cupcakes to, to pad out their 10-win season so that when they go, you know, 5-3 and three in the SEC, they still finish 9-4. and four. They don't have that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's totally screwed up. Um, and I think that the idea that these teams have to escape their division to get wins and then come back for competitive games and escape back and come back... It's really, it, it's just a very strange dynamic to what should be a more consistent thing, which is called a season. There's 120 plus teams in, in the FBS, and you play 12 games. Pick yeah. a damn team on your own level. Yeah, you I know, totally or, agree. I, Oregon gets no respect for, you know, dropping, you know, however many points they dropped on Nickel State or whoever they played. You know, Georgia Tech, I give them no love for dropping 70 on Elon, because you know what? They're supposed to drop 70 on Elon. All right, moving uh, moving past college football now to the pros. Um, I thought Lou and I would give our take on on what game we are most excited. First of all, one day until the NFL starts up again uh, with uh, the Denver Baltimore game uh, tomorrow night. Here's what I'll I'll say. I, I am the most excited because I am a Giants fan for Cowboys Giants. But I I would say that I think. Even if I lived in this area and I was a Jets fan or a Patriots fan, I mean, obviously you're, you're excited for, you know, your team's first game. But I think that watching the Cowboys right now is a little bit like watching the Jets and that if it goes badly, it's like everything could blow up. So I hope the Giants win. I'm excited to see them play. But I'm also excited to see how Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett and Tony Romo respond to all of this pressure that they're receiving and have been receiving all offseason. I, I stifled a laugh as you were saying that, not because of anything you were saying, but because I was just thinking back to, to the conversation you and I had in the car uh, on our way back from Trenton last week, talking about... That's cute that we carpool, by the way, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I would have had to rent the car had we done that, but thankfully Doug drove. <laughs> um, that came full circle. That's, a, that's called a callback in the industry, kids. Um just the conversation we had about, you know, what we had talked about on, on this very show last week and the injuries and stuff. And then we find out as we're getting out of the car and I'm like, oh, sweet, I have a fantasy football draft in five minutes that Andre Brown broke his leg and is going to be out for six weeks. So that changes the whole dynamic of things right there. But I agree with you on Giants-Cowboys possibly being the game to watch. I mean, the NFC East could be one of those divisions where 9-7 and seven wins it. And I say that in a good way because that means that the teams are kind of even. But I say that in a bad way because I don't think any of those teams are on the level of San Francisco or Green Bay, New Orleans maybe now that everybody's back in the fold. I'm going to stick in the NFC East and say my game to watch, and this has nothing to do with my fanship allegiance either, is Philadelphia-Washington, the Monday night opener. Why? You have – it's a very frustrating thing being a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And I laugh whenever anyone tells me I jumped on the bandwagon because just because I went to school in Philly, so I didn't have a football team until then, and you know I, I went with the Eagles. Because if I was a bandwagon jumper, I definitely would have jumped back on the bandwagon of a team that's won three Super Bowls in my lifetime, four actually. Um, so uh, that's that's a little weird, but it's a frustrating thing because you get such high hopes, and then 
It's like being a Mets fan, almost, actually. It's like, you have high hopes, this is all great. Oh, Matt Harvey tore his elbow. Damn, we're screwed. It's almost worse than that, though, because they were calling the Eagles the dream team. No, they were not. Vince Young was calling the Eagles the dream team, and now Vince Young is parking Young cars can, in Green Bay. He can be trusted, man. He is a good source of information, yeah. Vince Young. I don't know why anyone ever wouldn't take He's Vince Young He's got one hell seriously. of a collection of clipboards, I'm sure, in his trophy room at his house. But uh, He can rock a headset, I'll tell you that he much. He sure can. He looks great in a headset. Um, being a Philly fan is frustrating. So this year with Chip Kelly installing the new offense, Vic is the starting quarterback again, still, however you want to phrase it. It's going to be interesting to see what that team does. I mean, Chip Kelly has jettisoned the top three picks from the 2011 draft are all already gone. He's got the new offense. He's got some new pieces. They're switching to the defense to the three, four. So that's going to be interesting to see. And on the other side, you have just five letters. R-G-I-I-I. That's it. I mean, he's cleared to start week one, reportedly. He's going to start. He's one of the most explosive and dynamic players in the league. I have him on just about every fantasy team I own because, damn, he's good. So let's see what that knee looks like, how he looks. You know, Alfred Morris came out of nowhere to be a beast last year. They still have a decent enough receiving core that it's one of those kind of the, the hole is, is much greater than the sum of their parts kind of thing. So that's going to be a very interesting game, especially because... You kind of the, the way you look at it, Washington must still be the favorite in that division because they won it last year, and Philly is a complete wild card because they could go four and twelve and everybody would be like, "Oh yeah, we kind of expected that," or they could go twelve and four and everybody would be like, "Hey, that stuff kind of worked." Yeah, I have a, a separate non-Lou Eagles fan who thinks I don't know if he doesn't watch television or listen to the radio, but thinks everybody knows that the Eagles are going to win the division and. Here's the thing. As a Giants fan, I refuse to count them out because I have seen Chip Kelly's offense work, and I have seen really not-so-good quarterbacks work it. And Mike Vick has the skill of a not-so-good Oregon quarterback. Are you calling Dennis Dixon a bad quarterback? Because the Eagles just cut him, by the way, too. I I would say, yes, I might be going there. Here's what I'll say, though. Michael Vick is a much, much better version of any quarterback that Chip Kelly's ever worked with, not to mention the fact that he has some weapons. LaShawn McCoy is a weapon for that offense. He is so quick, such a devastating receiver and runner for defenses it's going to tire out these defenses. I don't know if it'll work at the end of the day. I think the first the first drive is going to be kind of a panic for most teams. But once that settles down, I think maybe you'll see the Eagles you know, come back down to earth. Here's the thing. A lot of people are expecting 4-12 or 12-4. and four. What if the Eagles go 8-8? Eight and eight? That's very possible, too. So um, th- that's. I think a lot of people will tell you that this has been the case for the past year or two. Even though we might have a lot of seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven teams in this division, I really I think this is the most exciting division. Well, it's going to be because every game is you know competitive. I don't think anyone thinks that Arizona and San Francisco is going to be you know as much of a barn burner as that. Or you know, despite the fact that they played two close games last year, you know there is a talent disparity between St. Louis and San Francisco, for instance. Um, whereas in in the NFC East, I don't know if there's that much of a talent disparity because all the teams, like I said, are kind of on that wavelength. The Redskins may be a little better. You know, the Cowboys, Jerry Jones is the only one that thinks the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl every year, but they're still capable. So it's going to be interesting to see all of those division games. And, you know, if the Eagles go 8-8, eight and eight, still an improvement. Yeah, I mean, you, they you can mark really, that up. They weren't really playing for much at the end of last year, but... Right. You know, they <laughs> that's still an improvement. You know, six and ten is an improvement for that team, really. 
So anything better than four and twelve, you know, they'll take it. And a lot of people too. If you still got fantasy drafts going on, you know, if you're listening to this today, I have one on Wednesday night myself. Uh, a lot of people are taking Bryce Brown because of what you said with that offense. LaShawn McCoy is a great weapon, but if they're running 70 offensive plays a game, outside of Michael Vick, nobody's going to be running 70 offensive plays a game. I think Bryce Brown's Bryce a good Brown pick. could be a very good handcuff this year, get a few goal line touches. He can break a run. If he can hold on to the ball, you know, he's going to be golden. But we'll, we'll see what we get out of that. But Yeah, you know, it sounds very smart, Lou. That's I guess, I'm guessing why I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> what I, I – yeah, I – I want Michael Vick to have a good year. I don't like Michael Vick. I, I haven't liked him since the dogfighting thing. I will never like him. But what I will say is that I'm rooting for him to have a good year as a football player because I think that if he has a good year, look at that division and their quarterbacks. I mean, you have Eli Manning, Robert Griffin, Tony Romo, and Mike Vick. Is there a consistent? Is there a more consistent quarterback lineup in a division across the board in the NFL? No. I, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say there's one that might be close and the only one that might be close is if you get the Josh Freeman, the good Josh Freeman of last year and building forward. Then you've got a division in the NFC South where you've got Breeze and Matt Ryan, who are the cream of the crop. Cam Newton is that RG3 Vic type dual triple threat. And then Freeman is the wild card there. But, you know, I mean, I've never been a big fan of Tony Romo's either. I think he's a bit overrated as a player, but he's a good quarterback. I mean, he has a Pro Bowl on his resume, so. And again, David Garrard is a Pro Bowl on his resume too. But uh, you know, we'll we'll probably see him playing in the Pro Bowl again this year when nineteen AFC quarterbacks back out, and the AFC quarterbacks are Mark Sanchez and anybody from Buffalo. Cam Newton. No one's talking about Cam Newton because there's a whole new, fresh round of quarterbacks: the oh, Colin Kaepernick and Russell Wilson. Yeah. yeah. So no one's talking about Cam Newton. I would love to be Cam Newton right now. He's out of the spotlight. He's got a team that still has a lot of weapons. When they get Jonathan Stewart back, hopefully around week seven, week eight, they have Mike Tolbert and D'Angelo Williams in the meantime. I would love to be Cam Newton because the pressure's off him. He clearly has the skill. If he hones it, gets a better attitude, then, yeah, I I might agree with you. If Josh Freeman starts to play better, who has a ton of pressure on him, on the other hand, to keep his job, that might be the better division. See, here's here's the thing that separates Cam Newton from the rest of those guys. And and this is – I don't know if this is a positive or a negative, but it's what separates them. Look at the offenses on those teams. Seattle, for instance, with Russell Wilson. Harvin's hurt. Sidney Rice is kind of hurt. But they're both kind of on that same level where they're like sort of elite receivers. Golden Tate became his go-to guy. You know, he had the most disputed touchdown of 2012. Thanks for bringing the real refs back, by the way. Uh, So they're kind of on that level. You look at San Francisco. Kaepernick had Crabtree. He had Mario Manningham at the end of the year. He's got elite receivers. Freeman has V-Jax, you know, he's he's got that, that elite go-to guy. Carolina's offense is Steve Smith, and then, can you even name their number two receiver? Do you think Cam Newton Mushin can... Muhammad? <laughs> do you think Cam Newton can name their number two receiver? I mean, it's whoever the hell I is I think open. it's Brandon LaFell. Uh, yeah, I had him on my fantasy team a long time ago, because I'm in a dynasty league, and I had, like, the 38th draft pick, and he was the only guy Just there. because I know who he is doesn't mean he's any good. Right. He was LSU. I probably played Madden and, and, you know, tried to throw the ball to him (laughs) unsuccessfully. But that's what separates Cam Newton is that, like, he, as I said with RG3, yes, he still has Santana Moss, who's about 35 now, I think, Santana. But all those guys, Garcon, Hankerson, Moss, they're all kind of in that same group of, in your fantasy draft, it's like, which one of these four do I take? Nobody stands out. 
the other teams have more than one standout, and Nate Newton just has Smith, and he's had Smith and nothing. It's like Donovan McNabb, really, in Philly. He had Terrell Owens for a couple of years, but beyond that, he just had a group of nameless, faceless receivers and Brian Westbrook. Yeah, it's a, it's actually that's a good comparison, um, both in in skill and and in their situation. Right. I think McNabb and Cam Newton are pretty are pretty close. Which, by the way, Don, Donovan McNabb now a fantastic analyst for Fox Sports One. Just that yeah, cheap one, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so the NFL season, you know, Thursday night, Baltimore getting it going. Uh, and then we have 17 weeks of Sundays of just fun and excitement and wonder and throwing things at the television when your fantasy quarterback throws an interception and jumping up out of your chair when your third string fantasy running back, he played on a hunch breaks an 80 yard touchdown run and a lot of chicken wings in my future. Hot dogs, baked beans, Chef Boyardee. Cold, cold soda. This is the difference in age between you and I. I just said chicken wings and was thinking beer. You're thinking Chef Boyardee and leftovers and leftovers. Thing, things I might have eaten when I was your age and just out of college and you know, sort of eating beans out of a can. I just, just a, se- a side note. I'm not 12, but I am a little bit younger than you. I'm. I'm 22. So Chef Boyardee makes me feel old because I've been eating that since I was eight. Well, I grew up on the chef and some ecto cooler to go along with it too. But I mean, ain't you know, nothing wrong with beefaroni. My palate has changed a little bit over the years. Now I prefer poor little helpless chickens mutilated, oh. deep fried, and covered in pita sauce. Pita. Oh God. You know what? I'm getting. I'm breaking into a sweat just thinking about it. So I think this is where we're going to wrap up this edition of the Yes Men. Uh, if you like us. You know, keep listening. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, Doug Williams, yes. Lou DePietro, yes. Let us know how we're doing. You got questions? You got comments? We'll read them. We'll answer them. We're cool like that. Doug yeah, has a show called Reply All. He'll talk to you. I will. And and we're uh, we're going to hope to get uh, this podcast on iTunes soon. We're going to have a page for it on our website so that you can click and see all the episodes in the same spot. Because for the first one, it was just an MP3 download. So we're looking to change that. As Lou said, just keep following us on Twitter. That's all we got. Yeah, and uh, so for Doug, I'm Lou. We'll see you next time, and uh, that's all for today.